Thank you, Abby, for singing this morning. I know it is um, not always the easiest thing to do is stand in front of other people and share your voice with them. And I was reminded as Lori was doing the children's time this morning that, um, that most ministry happens in the interruptions, as a friend of mine used to say, um, that honestly, true mission and, and true ministry generally happens off your calendar. It's usually like God shows up and says, no, this, you thought you were doing this today, today you're doing this. That's just kind of the way that it is. And so we can't get too wrapped up in our calendars. This morning I want to share a story with you from 1 Kings. If you have been around this summer, you will remember that we have been walking through a number of stories that come out of a genealogy that Matthew gives us in Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Now, the genealogy begins with Abraham and therefore with the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And it works its way, generation after generation, all the way down to Jesus. And every generation, God's promise continues to make its way forward. As that promise moves, it travels through some shall we say, interesting people. Last week, Austin taught on King David, another interesting person. But it is at this point in the genealogy when King David shows up that things take a turn because after David, up until the exile, every person named in the genealogy is a king. Now, this is important because it sets us up to understand Jesus as king. Now, I don't know about you, but for most of my Christian walk, I understood Jesus as Savior, I understood him as the Son of God, I understood him as Redeemer, and for lack of a better term, I understood Jesus as a religious figure. But I didn't always associate Jesus with kingship. And Matthew clearly wants us to understand that Jesus is king. He starts in the first chapter with this genealogy. It's the whole point. Now, you might remember that under King David, all of Israel was unified. All the tribes were together as one nation, and they remained unified under David's son, Solomon, who incidentally is also the son of Bathsheba, another interesting person who shows up in the genealogy. But Solomon's reign is not David's reign. And Solomon allows all kinds of idolatry to infiltrate into the kingdom. He is not faithful as his father David was. And when Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam is crowned king. Now, if you have ever read this portion of the Bible, even if you have never read this portion of the Bible, I'm going to warn you right now that things get a little confusing because there is another guy whose name is Jeroboam. We have Jeroboam and Rehoboam. If you have trouble keeping these things straight, don't feel bad. I do too. Now, Jeroboam serves Solomon, but he ends up fleeing to Egypt because Solomon tries to kill him. Why does he try to kill him? Well, because Jeroboam has received a prophecy by a man named Ahijah. And in the prophecy, the Lord tells Jeroboam that he is going to give him 10 tribes of Israel to rule. How many tribes are there in Israel? Congratulations. So Jeroboam is going to end up with 10 tribes. Rehoboam is going to end up with two. 
And in this prophecy, we learn that God is going to divide what is a united kingdom. Now, I'm going to share some of that prophecy with you in a second. But to understand all of this, you have to keep this distinction between Jeroboam and Rehoboam straight. And before we get to the prophecy, we're going to look at the early days of King Rehoboam. And I am in 1 Kings chapter 12. If you have a Bible with you, you can open there. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. It will also be on the screen. Listen to the word of the Lord. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. Remember, Solomon has died, so they're making his son Jeroboam king. Uh, Rehoboam king. See, I got this messed up already. (laughs) When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. And so they sent from Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men he had grown up with and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father had laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Oh, this is going well. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given to him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy, I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijad the Shilonite. And when all Israel saw that the king had refused to listen to them, They answered the king, What share do we have in David, and what part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. And so the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Boy, oh boy. What does the Lord have to say in this passage? Well, the first thing you notice is that Rehoboam speaks to two different groups of people, the elders who advised his father and his friends who grew up with him. Now, the answer to the question seems pretty obvious, right? I mean, twice it is said that if he lightens the load that Solomon put on the people, that they will serve him. He's a new king. You would think that's what he wanted, And the people, including Jeroboam, who his father tried to kill, who fled from his father and is now back, says this, and so do the elders. The elders are actually even more clear. What they say is, if you will be a servant to these people, they will always serve you. Great advice. 
But then Rehoboam asks his friends, what do you think we should do? And what's interesting here is that there is a contrast in what is said twice. Twice is said, if you will lighten their load, if you will serve them, they will serve you. Well, here, twice what is said is that those that Rehoboam is consulting, these young men are people he grew up with. And for me, at least, this means that these young men are cut from the same cloth as, as Solomon and Rehoboam. They are young men of the court, the nobility, so to speak. And by their answer, you can see they are not interested in serving anyone except maybe their friend, the powerful king. Their advice? Threaten the people rather than serve them. Now, choosing their answer, it's clear pretty quick that this doesn't go well for Rehoboam. He loses the entire northern part of his kingdom. Ten tribes go with Jeroboam, leaving the southern kingdom to David's family, specifically the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. So, the first thing that we can learn from this, or at least I think the thing that's most obvious on the surface of this, is if your dad dies and leaves you king, don't listen to your dumb friends that you grew up with. I mean, that seems to be the most obvious thing, right? I mean, it's a good leadership nugget. I mean, I'm sure some leadership guru somewhere has written an entire chapter in some book on it. I mean, be careful of people who are promoting their own agendas if you're in leadership. Okay, great. But when you read this or you hear this, you really cannot escape how truly boneheaded this is. I mean, if, even if it's the first time you've ever heard this, weren't you thinking, really? That's your plan? I mean, honestly, Rehoboam, if that's your plan, then maybe you're really too much of a blockhead to be king to begin with. This serves you right. Which might be true, but did you hear what is said down in verse 15? It's easy to miss. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. Oh, yeah, the prophecy, remember? Now, I'm going to be honest, and maybe it's only me, but this outcome for Rehoboam I find just personally a little problematic. It's problematic because I really want to believe I have more free agency, right, that I can make clearer decisions than this reflects. I, I want to believe that I can make decisions that are unaffected by the past. And sometimes I want to believe that I can make decisions that are unaffected by the will of God. But here, what appears to be a really dumb decision on Rehoboam's part, turns out to be the fulfillment of the prophecy Ahijah had related to Jeroboam. I want to take a look at the prophecy very quickly, just a little bit of it. It's in the chapter before. It is in 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm just going to read you verses 32 through 39. But for the sake of my servant David, and this is the prophet speaking God's words, but for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees, 
and the laws as David, Solomon's father, did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and my decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you, Jeroboam, ten tribes. I'll give one tribe to his son so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. However, for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires and you will be king over all Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me, and do what is right in my eyes, but I obey my decrees and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. Now again, there can be this sense of fairness which rises up in this, because since we know what is coming with Rehoboam, kind of like I have this feeling, well, how come Rehoboam has to pay the price for what his father did? And yet, as we have discussed before, what happens here is just more of the sins of the father being visited on the son. I mean, it's not that Rehoboam is paying for Solomon's sin. It's just that God can see that things are going to continue to move in the same direction if Rehoboam has all of this in his hands. All is going to happen is more of the same, and God is done with more of the same. And when we see that he listens to his friends rather than the people or the elders, when he is threatening those that he is leading, then we can be pretty sure that Rehoboam is just a chip off the old block when it comes to Solomon's unfaithfulness. Now, add to that what the Lord is saying through the prophet to Jeroboam, and it's clear. The Lord's concern is faithfulness to him. Everything taken from Rehoboam and given to Jeroboam is conditional on one thing. If you do whatever I command you, I will be with you. And so that's the second thing here, faithfulness. It turns out that Jeroboam is honestly worse than Rehoboam or his father, Solomon. And I can't really dive into Jeroboam too deeply today, but I can say that when the Lord expands your kingdom, which is literal for Jeroboam, right? When the Lord expands your kingdom, and maybe your kingdom is, maybe it's a promotion at job, or maybe it's your family, or I I don't know what expanding your kingdom might be, but whenever and however the Lord expands your kingdom, the only response is, is faithfulness. And neither Rehoboam or Jeroboam turn out to be very faithful. And here's the last point. Even when we are not faithful, God is. Remember that God promised Abraham that he would extend his kingdom. Remember? He said, I'm going to make your descendants numerous as the stars in the sky. 
Your descendants, just as this promise has made its way through generation after generation, even though the promises had to work through some pretty sketchy people and situations, God's promise never wavers or fails. God is always faithful. When we get to David, God begins to build on this promise that he's made to Abraham. He gives David the throne, and then he promises David that someone in his line will always be on the throne. And it is this promise that someone in David's line will always be on the throne that causes God to strip Rehoboam of all the kingdom except Judah and Benjamin. Now, it may sound strange to say, but God's division of the kingdom is actually a reflection of God's faithfulness to his promise. See, God could have taken the entire kingdom away from Rehoboam, but if he had, then God would have gone back on his promises. But he didn't. He remained faithful. So often when things go wrong in life, we think that somehow God has abandoned us, that God doesn't love us, that God's not keeping his promises. Honestly, most people that I have ever met who called themselves atheists, if you really listened hard to what they said to you, it fell right here. God doesn't love me. God is not faithful. God does not keep his promises. Honestly, I think Rehoboam thought that at one point. He actually tried to wage war against the northern kingdom, but just as he did that, God told him to stop and miracle upon miracle, he actually listened But the truth is sometimes, as much as we hate it, because we think the only way forward is with everything like up and to the right, right? I mean, we believe that only if things are up and to the right, that things are going well, that God is in control. As much as we hate it, sometimes God's faithfulness is reflected in giving us less. I don't like it. I don't like it even a little bit because when that happens, it feels scary and unfair and sometimes unjust. But what is remarkable is that God never leaves us. He is always faithful and always with us, even when our kingdoms are shrinking instead of expanding. As the book of Lamentations says about God's faithfulness, great is your faithfulness. Rehoboam reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem. The Bible says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And his kingdom was attacked by outsiders. He and Jeroboam fought as well almost constantly. Things did not go smoothly. But sometimes seeing God's faithfulness takes time. Which is why this little phrase in in 1 Kings 11 becomes so important where it says, I will humble David's descendants, but not forever. See, I don't know where you are today. I mean, maybe you're celebrating kingdom expansion in your life, right? Everything is kind of up and, and to the right. Then Praise the Lord through whom all blessings flow. I mean, your response in a, in a season of kingdom expansions is, is praise and faithfulness. Or maybe your kingdom is shrinking and falling apart. 
Maybe you're wondering if God is still being faithful to you. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. You're sort of in a season of waiting and watching and wondering. And that certainly is not as much fun as kingdom expansion. But know this. God's faithfulness does not change even when our circumstances do. God's faithfulness does not change even when our circumstances do. God's power and faithfulness is still unchecked. Even your faithlessness can't undo what God has promised. You see that here. God's power and love are are much bigger than our bad actions. Yes, things may be hard, but his promises are sure. Humbled, but not forever. Rehoboam had some bad days. But God's promise never stopped working through him. He allowed detestable practices in Judah, but God's promise still worked through him. His father wasn't faithful, but God's promises still worked through him. He wasn't faithful, but God's promises, the promises that he made to David, the promises that he made to Abraham, continued to echo in and through his life. And ultimately, Rehoboam ends up listed as one of the people through whom Jesus, the true and eternal king, comes. Ultimately, I think Rehoboam's story brings us hope. Hope that even though things may appear to be falling apart, and who here some days does not believe things are falling apart? Though this world, as the hymn says that we sang earlier, may be with devils filled, And it does some days feel that way, and some days it feels as though it threatens to undo us, that we should not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Yes, we have to endure. Yes, sometimes we have to be deeply faithful in the midst of an unfaithful culture. But we know In the end, Jesus is king. Would you pray with me?